It's time for the Rose Chat Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the world's most beloved flower, the rose. Join award-winning gardeners Chris Van Cleef and Teresa Byington as they chat with rose lovers and experts from around the globe. With each episode, you'll gain valuable knowledge and insights to achieve the rose garden you've always dreamed of. Listen now as we explore the world of roses. Hey friends, on today's program, we chat with Leon Genenthal, a.k.a. De Rosenmeister, about some of his favorite roses, the Ramblers, a beautiful class of roses that we don't hear too much about these days. Hey, Leon, it's good to have you back. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. Oh, me too, me too. So let's start at the beginning. Wasn't it Mary Poppins that told us to start at the very beginning? And let's talk about the history of the roses we call ramblers. Sure. Um, Ramblers are probably closest to the species roses of um, any of the classes of roses that folks grow. Um, They reached their peak of popularity probably in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they were everywhere. Um, Backyards, along um, highways, botanical gardens, they had an incredible display. And then in the 20s, they were eclipsed by modern large flowered climbing roses because people wanted repeat bloom, larger size flowers, um, and a a greater range of colors. And I think they were also looking for um, something smaller in stature. And unfortunately, they started to disappear uh, from the trade, and we've lost countless ramblers, unfortunately. I don't even want to think about the ones we've lost. Luckily, we still have so many beautiful ones. So now what makes it a rambler? Tell us about their growth habit. Sure. Um, Ramblers are, um, well, in the American Rose Society, there's a whole group of classes of roses. And most of the categories were created by nurserymen in marketing plants. Um, Most of the classification of roses are not based in botany. Mm -hmm. Um, Ramblers as a group um, would be described as once blooming. They have long, flexible canes. The flowers are in clusters and tend to be smaller. Um, And uh, let's see, Um, they often have rose hips so that um, there's multi-season interest. They're great for pollinators. They're a rose that is best suited for covering a pergola or arbor or arch um, in a tree, covering a building up the side of a barn (laughs) as a (laughs) tall fountain. Um, They could be trained up a single post and then cascade down. They add drama, height, and romance to a garden. They produce more flowers in the three to five weeks they're in bloom than any other rose does in an entire season. So uh, they're an amazing group of roses. Oh, you said drama. And... (laughs) And that's one of the things I love so much about them. I call it my fireworks and fragrance in the garden because, you know, like you, we have winter 
and winter is so dark and bleak and dreary, especially I'm looking out today at that. And then boom, I mean, it's like fireworks and fragrance and there's nothing like the millions of blooms that you have when you have these roses in your garden. So they do add drama and romance. And um, even though I do appreciate roses that bloom all summer, I want it all summer too. I just wouldn't be without those that just give you that drama in the spring, late spring. What's nice also about um, the ramblers is depending on what species they're derived from, some will uh, be early season, some will be mid-season, and there are some that will bloom after the first flush of um, of roses in your garden. So you can extend that first batch of bloom mm-hmm. by at least three or four weeks through the month of July when the other roses are quitting. Hmm. I'll have to think about what I need to add because I get May and June covered, but not into July. So I'm going to think about that one. So what do I need to add? And I do have a few, and I'm sure you do too, that do repeat a little throughout the year. Now they don't give you the big flush, but they do give you beauty. And then that interest at the end with the rose hips is really fun. Yeah. The other thing that I like about the once bloomers, um, it makes the time of year when they bloom very special. When I do any talks on roses, Um, most folks are looking for the repeat bloomers. And I ask them, do you have lilacs in your garden? (laughs) Peonies? Azaleas? And I can go through the list. And then I ask them about their perennials and how long a perennial stays in bloom. And most of these plants will only stay in bloom two weeks, three weeks, maybe five on the most. But for some reason, we ask roses to do almost (laughs) the impossible. And there's an advantage aside from making that time of year special. When they finish blooming, um, that's about when the Japanese beetles or rose midge or other pests come in, and you don't have to worry about them at all. And then the other thing is you don't have to deadhead them like you do other roses. They're very low care. So all you have to do is continue to tie up some canes during the season and you prune once a year when the forsythia are in bloom and you're done. And they've got an incredible range of hardiness. Roses that can grow where there's virtually no winter to roses that'll handle zone two. Can you imagine a rambler in zone two? <laughs> Talk about fireworks. <laughs> uh huh. Now, um, knowing that they get big, I'm sure our listeners want to know what you think about supporting them. So what is the best way to support them? Ah, Okay. That's another thing. Um, They're incredibly versatile. So um, I would suggest when you provide supports, they're heavy. Don't try to go with a two by two or a two by four in the ground, a minimum of a four by four post or even a six by six. And overhead, don't go with just a little puncy two by four. <laughs> go with a two by six or a two by eight. And then if you're looking at um, an arch to walk through, be sure that the posts are far enough apart. I often see folks that will set an arch, or the, well, the typical arches you buy are, are set about four, four and a half feet apart. 
And if you have a nice, healthy, vigorous rambler on either side, you're going to have trouble walking through. So be generous in your proportions in setting your ramblers um, and your structures. So we could look at arches. We could look at um, arbors or pergolas, which would be large overhead open structures that you could walk under. And ramblers are really much more suited to that than any climbing rows you can buy on the market. Mm -hmm. uh, ramblers go from 10 to 20 plus feet um, in height and width. So that'll give you the, uh, the distance you need. The other thing that I like to do sometimes is uh, create a tripod using something like reinforced rod, rebar, and that comes in 20-foot lengths. Um, so you could go all the way up to that size or maybe 10-foot, and you tie three pieces of rebar together with some heavy-duty wire. You spread them, poke it in the ground, and you've got a stable structure. And as your rambler grows, you wind it around in a spiral. And when it gets to the top, you just let it cascade into a fountain. Mm. Another great way to grow ramblers would be up into a tree. If you have um, an old apple tree or pear tree, plant the rose at the edge of the drip line and lean a piece of rebar or... Oh, a heavy piece of uh, bamboo and train it up into the crown and then just let it go. I'm trying to do that with a Velschenblau and, mm -hmm. uh, um, and that uh, brings up another point. Many of these roses can take a bit of shade so they don't need quite as much sun maybe as your hybrid tea that some of them can um, take a little bit of shade. I've got some growing where uh, they get some shade during the day and they're doing okay. Do you find that too? Most definitely. Um, in fact, uh, when we talk about some of my favorites, I'll mention some that can not only handle shade, but root competition, which is mm -hmm. something that very few roses can tolerate. You know, the, well, oh, go ahead. I was wondering in the care category, um, um, are you fertilizing the, these as you would other roses or do they need less? I, um, I tend to not do that much in the way of fertilization. Um, I find that roses are, are pretty tough and these guys can handle most conditions. So I look for good draining soil. That's really important. And providing supplemental watering the first year they're planted just to give them a start. If you want to use fertilizer, um, I think about it in two ways. I think about chemical fertilizers will um, feed the plant itself and encourage mm -hmm. blossom and growth. But I also look at the organic fertilizers in terms of feeding the soil. What happens is if we just feed the plant with chemical fertilizers, oftentimes the plant can't take up all that nutrition we're providing. And it's in feeding the soil, the biological live component of the soil, the mycorrhizae, that allow the roots to absorb water, to absorb nutrition. So if you don't have a good, healthy 
living soil, you could put in tons of chemical fertilizers, but the plant can't uptake it. And in fact, when I design rose gardens for folks um, or come into consult, the first thing I do is have soil testing done. What I found repeatedly is that gardens typically have way too much phosphorus in the soil. And most folks who fertilize will buy a 10-10-10 or 20-20-20, you know, with the thought that if a little bit is good, a lot is even better. And we end up overfeeding some of, of um, these nutrients, these macronutrients. And then what happens with that stuff? It ends up running off when we've got rains. And that's part of what's causing the harmful algal blooms that we're getting in our lakes and ponds. Mm -hmm. It's not just the dairy farmers that we blame. We need to take a look at our own practices. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to love them to death, for sure. You see all of the advertising and you hear all the good mm -hmm. reports and you think, oh, yes, 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 bigger, better. But it just isn't the case at all. In terms of fertilizing, um, folks do want to feel like they're doing something for their roses. Mm -hmm. So what I suggest is fertilizing um, three times a year. And what I say to help folks remember is Mother's Day, Father's Day, middle of July. There's something about the rhythm to it. Um, Mother's Day is when the roses, at least in our area, are setting their, um, getting their growth going, getting ready to produce flower buds. Father's Day, they're at peak bloom, and those poor little, well, not the ramblers little, those, <laughs> those roses are working their hearts out, and they could use an extra boost. Middle of July is when that flush of bloom is over, and they're ready to put in vegetative growth for the following year. And, and this fertilization schedule works well for all classes of roses. I don't recommend fertilizing after the middle of July because what we want to do is slow down some of the growth then so that it has enough time to harden off. And when those fall frosts come, we don't have young, tender growth that gets killed. Very important, very important. Okay, let's talk about your favorites. I know you have a few. So really, how many do you have? <laughs> well, um, this is the 20th year Der Rosenmeister has been in business. And I was working on my master list of roses that are in the landscape and taking a look over the past 20 years, what I've grown. And there have been over 500 varieties of roses I've grown. Currently, I've got about 200 in the landscape. When it comes to um, my favorites, it's uh, what I always say is it's like asking, who's your favorite child? <laughs> um, <laughs> I love them all. So this morning I was talking to my wife over coffee and we were comparing notes on which ones we really look forward to. And um, I've come up... Well, I do this over and over, and I come up with a very long, short list. <laughs> so um, let me just give you a sampling, and 
talk a little bit about each and why they jumped out in my mind. The first one I'll, I'll mention is called De La Grifferie. It's one of the oldest of the Ramblers. It dates back to the 1840s. And it's not a typical Rambler in that it is not a small flowered or cluster flowered Rambler. It has large opulent blooms that look almost like a Gallica and it's strongly fragrant. There's a picture on my website, I believe, um, of me with my nose deep in one of them with a look on my face of contentment. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a rosy pink, very, very double. So we're talking, oh, probably 80 to 100 petals maybe in a flower. And what happens is that for most roses, the scent of a rose is carried in the oils in the petals. So if you have a lot more petals, you could have a lot more fragrance. And, and this one would probably grow easily 12 feet plus, and it's very hardy. So De La Griffery is one of the first ones I thought of. The next one I thought of um, is White Mountains. And this was a rose that was developed in the 1950s at University of New Hampshire, um, by a man who was doing research on trying to create ramblers and roses in general that could survive zone three. He wanted roses up in New England that did not die back to the ground. And it's an incredible rose. It's from a species that is um, not used in hybridizing practically at all. There were only, I think, two folks that worked with this rose, and it's called Rosa Maximowitziana. That's a mouthful. And that's a rose from Korea. Like I said, zone three. This rose makes in a mountain. Well, it's called White Mountains. Mm -hmm. So it'll make a mountain of white blooms, an incredible habitat for birds. Pollinators love it. It, they form small red rose hips that are just gorgeous through the winter. After an ice storm, I go out there and mm. it's covered with rubies that are just glistening in the snow. So that's one of my must-haves. Another one um, is Grus and Zaubern, another um, mouthful of a rose in terms of name. This is a rose that is from Germany and is incredibly fragrant. I could stand 10 or 15 feet away and smell this one. Mm. Small white cluster flowers with yellow stamens. Um, the smell is unlike any other rose that I have on the property. As I was making this list, I started to realize a lot of the roses I fell in love with are white. So I'm going to just mention two more white ones, and then I'll add some more color. Um, the next one I go gaga for, <clears throat> and everybody wants, wants some when they see it in bloom here at my nursery. It's a little-known rose called Lukfund, and Lukfund um, is from Denmark. Lukfund means lucky find, and it's also a rose that has been... Um, 
Uh, it's from a species that has been little used in hybridizing. What's special about this one, couple things. One is that it's thornless. Mm. It's a pleasure to prune that compared to some of the others. I'm willing to put up with the thorns for the blooms, but there's times when <laughs> I don't want to put on my gauntlet gloves and then go down and work on Lukfund. It'll go 15 plus feet tall. And when I spoke about fragrance, I had talked about the fragrance coming from oils in the petals. What's fascinating about the um, uh, Lukfund and the other hybrids of Rosa Helene is that the oils are also present in the pollen. So when a breeze blows, the pollen is carried in the air and you get the fragrance at a great distance from this rose. It makes a mass of hips, just like a white mountains, but these ones are orange instead of red. So um, it's really nice to have that range. I'll mention one more white and then a couple others. I can't help myself. <laughs> Um, this next one is even hardier than White Mountains, and it's called Polstarnen. This is a rose from Finland that is hardy to zone two. I grew this one up into a dawn redwood tree, and it went over 20 feet up into the tree, was competing with the roots and dealing with amazing shade. What's lovely about Polstarnen is that when it first opens, you get a little saucer of petals. And then in the very center, you get a minaret, a small mm -hmm. group of petals that make a little pointed dome that cover the stamens for just a day or so. And then it opens. It's exquisite. You know, it's these nuances that it's so nice to appreciate. You mentioned... Um, that you are growing Valschenblau, which is one of the lavender roses. Mm -hmm. And people go gaga over blue or lavender roses. And there really is no true blue rose that you can grow. But there are a range of lavender and mauve roses that are just drop-dead gorgeous, going from very, very pale to the darkest wine, burgundy, purple, red. So if we started with the lightest, there's one called Asher Mitwak, means Ash Wednesday, mm -hmm. one of my wife's favorite roses. And it's um, white tinged with a hint of lavender and gray. That's where the ash comes mm -hmm. in. If we go from there to lighter ones, we've got Vlatva, which is a pale lavender, very double and fragrant. Valschenblau, the one you love, that's a little darker lavender with a nice bright yellow cluster of stamens. And then we can get darker with violet, which is like a darker version of Valschenblau. Mm -hmm. And then for the very darkest, we've got blue magenta, which is just drop-dead gorgeous. Cluster flowers about the size of a silver dollar. And then for big, dark, purpley flowers, we've got Arinarung Umbrad that is deeply fragrant and has probably almost 100 petals per bloom. So we can go from the 
palest lavender all the way through dark purple. Just a sampling. <laughs> and I could go on for days, I'm afraid. And I better stop here because it gets overwhelming. <laughs> oh, my. I mean, I've heard several there that I, I, um, I've never heard of. And um, my first question is, are these for sale? Now, at your nursery, you don't ship. Am I right? Right. That's a lot of folks are very disappointed. But when I grow roses, um, I propagate my own ramblers. I don't like to sell them as small rooted cuttings. I know a lot of mail order companies will sell a small rooted cutting or up to a, a one gallon size. And what I like to do is when I sell a rose, I want it to be really well established. So the first year it goes in the ground, it's guaranteed to succeed. The root system is big enough and folks will get a mass of bloom. So the roses I sell are in two or three gallon pots and with shipping costs, it would be prohibitive. I, I understand, but I certainly, I'm just gonna have to get up there sometime. So since we can't get these amazing roses from you, do you have um, other places that we can purchase them? Well, I'll, what I'd suggest are, are two sources for looking up where you could buy a rose. One is a book called The Combined Rose List that is published by Peter Schneider, who owns a nursery in Ohio called Freedom Gardens. He also doesn't ship, but his book is updated every year, lists every single rose in cultivation. So we are looking at thousands upon thousands of roses, and he lists the sources for where you can buy them, not only in the United States and Canada, but also all over the world. So that's an incredible resource. So that's mm. the combined rose list. The other thing I would suggest um, is taking a look at the American Rose Society website, and they have a list of nurseries that folks can um, order from, and they'll specify whether mail order is available or not. And there are now, um, you know, there's a handful of nurseries, some in the Northwest, um, a couple down South that will offer some ramblers. They don't have a huge selection, but they have enough to get you going. Folks are often hesitant, though, if they're in a Northern climate, to buy a rose that was uh, propagated in California or Florida because they think it wouldn't be as hardy. The hardiness doesn't have to do with where the rose is grown, but what its genetics are. So check out some of those lists in those warmer climate ones, but be sure to check the hardiness. I always talk about the right rose in the right place. So, you know, take a look at that hardiness. Take a look at your site. Be sure you're going to be offering them good sun, decent soil. It doesn't have to be perfect soil. Roses can grow in, in clay, a lot of minerals there. Not too wet, not too dry. It's that Goldilocks spot you want to get. <laughs> That's perfect. That's just perfect. Now, I have purchased several of my ramblers through um, Matt at High Country Roses. They've done well. 
And I recently was on the Rose Petal Nursery website, and they are out of Florida, and they have some ramblers too. So that's two sources to to get you started. I have to tell you a story. You'll appreciate this. Um, I bought two Valshambalau, and one was growing where it didn't get enough sun, so we moved it to 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 train it up a tree. But the one that we planted in full sun. It took off and went up a huge evergreen. And it now I have to go to my neighbors to actually see it and take a picture of it because wow. we can't even see it from our yard. They love it, but it has scaled this evergreen. And, and so I've offered it no support, but nature did. <laughs> that's great. I've got an old uh, pink rambler um, that's climbing up uh, Fastigida, columnar Norway spruce. And you can't see the canes um, as it grows up into this Norway spruce. It's about, the spruce is maybe four or five feet in diameter and probably 30 feet tall now. I planted it as a one-year-old graft when we moved in here. And when it's in bloom in June, people are blown away because it looks like there are roses cascading down out of a Norway spruce. And they say, I've never seen a spruce tree flower. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine. It sounds so awesome. Now, speaking of seeing, um, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners how they can find that tour of your garden, even though it's been a few years, and I'm sure there's some changes and some growth, but it is such a beautiful video on YouTube. So tell us, tell our listeners how to find that. Thank you. If you look on YouTube for... um, a Romance with Roses. It's part of a series of videos that were d- developed by a group called Flock Finger Lakes. It's about an hour long. And when I first saw it, um, I was just blown away by the quality of the video. But I was a little hesitant about the length of time. But people love it. It's been online now for about a year and a half. And we passed the half a million views months ago. (laughs) Uh, I get calls and emails and messages from folks all over the world. Uh, Two nights ago, I got a message from a woman in France, from Lorraine, who has fallen in love with the place. I got an email from a guy in India who wants me to carry his roses. Um, So it's it's just fantastic how this video is bringing rose lovers together from all around the world. We're in the process, Flock Finger Lakes and I, of starting a whole series of videos, instructional videos on roses. And we should start doing some filming in April going through the entire growing season. So keep your eye open for Flock Finger Lakes to um, see what they've come up with. They've got videos on all kinds of horticulture topics. Um, The other thing is keep an eye open for um, Der Rosenmeister Nursery on Facebook. I always put updates there if there's anything new coming on in terms of videos, and I'm always posting pictures of roses. And there's my website as well, derrosenmeister.com. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I know I've seen that video many times. It's very inspiring, especially in the winter. Um, do you have an open house or uh, an open garden day that pe- that you do allow visitors? We, in, in the past, we had always done um, an open garden time the Friday of Father's Day weekend. And we had upwards of 400 folks coming there was live music, wine, finger food, and then COVID hit, mm-hmm. and we had to stop. Last year, we opened up the the garden Father's Day weekend for folks just to browse around, and we are debating what to do this year. Um, so I'd suggest, you know, check us out on Facebook. Um check out the website. When my wife and I make the final decision, it will be posted there. Um, Our nursery does open the um, middle of May. We're open weekends, middle of May through the end of June. By the end of June, things get pretty sparse. I'm often sold out by then. During the week, it would be by appointment only. And at other times of the year, by appointment. So we're always looking for... um, Introducing folks to roses. And there's something here, even that um, longtime rose growers will find that will just be a must have in their garden. I think that's very true. <laughs> now, we can hardly talk about Ramblers without talking about Anne Belovich and her collection. Uh, Anne Belovich was a gem. Unfortunately, um, she died in November of 2021. She was 97 years old. Um, Anne fell in love with Ramblers when she bought her land. And she started to collect them from all over the place. And then she realized there were so many Ramblers that had been hybridized in North America, in the United States, that were no longer available here. So she worked out um, importing cuttings from Sangerhausen Nursery in Germany. Uh, Not nursery, excuse me, Botanic Garden. That garden was behind the Iron Curtain, survived the world Mm -hmm. wars. And when the wall came down, folks found this place that had roses that were found nowhere else in the world. So she started to import them um, and plant them out. Mm. What happened is during her lifetime, her collection grew and grew and grew. And she was getting older and older. And the collection was, well, let's say it was um, getting wild and needing tending. (laughs) After her passing, um, a gal took over the collection, Terry Maurer, and she's restoring the collection. There were cuttings. Anne knew her time was coming to an end, and she didn't want the collection to disappear. So she sent uh, cuttings of the entire collection off to a nursery in Texas, and they were growing them on. Unfortunately, Rose Rosette disease came in, and hit that collection hard. She had also sent cuttings to the American Rose Society garden in Shreveport, Louisiana, and they are growing them on there. 
But the trouble with Louisiana is it's not the kind of place for some of the more cold, hardy roses to grow. So um, some of her roses are in danger of being lost a second time to those of us in North America. Um, I'm working on trying to create a collection of uh, ramblers, many of which um, Anne brought to this country. But my emphasis is not just any rambler. I'm looking for cold hardy. I'm looking for disease resistant. And I'm looking for special qualities. Anne wrote the only book that was ever done exclusively on ramblers. There have been about six, well, maybe five books written on climbing roses in the history of rose books. And I've got almost every single one of them. But nothing other than Anne's on ramblers. Hers is a, a wonderful resource. Um, she lists them alphabetically. She has a picture of each, and she has about three sentences for each. I'm in the process now of um, writing a book on ramblers. But my focus will be, rather than an alphabetical listing, trying to create a sense of a system or a structure mm -hmm. so that folks understand the creation of ramblers. So it will be broken down by the species rose from which that group of ramblers was developed um, with an emphasis on those colder, hardy ones. Mm -hmm. So that's quite the challenge at this point. But um, I think that will be my swan song and gift <laughs> to the future uh, in hopes to preserve these very special roses. Well, that's really good news. I am so happy to hear that you're doing that. That's, we'll be looking forward to that. I think we should point out, too, about Anne. She grew her very first rose at 60. So if you think you're too old to start a big project, well, Anne can be quite the inspiration. Another story about Anne that I've become aware of is um, many of our listeners may know of Erin Benzikeen of Florit Flowers. She's actually one of today's leading flower experts and has written several books. Well, Erin actually knew Anne, and she visited with her just four months before she passed away. And of all the people Erin has met, she said Anne Belovich was one of the most inspiring women she ever met, which is quite something. And you can read more about Erin's time with Anne and what she's doing with rose cuttings she took from that garden. Um, on the Floret Flower website, Erin wrote a four-part blog series, and so you can find that there. I'll have so, to check that out for sure. It was, it's a really sweet story how someone much younger who is totally fascinated with rambling roses and what Erin is known for is the cut flower industry and um, just an amazing, doing amazing work in her own right. And, uh, but um, she was, she had explained to someone um, that she was, you know, in love with these roses and they, they connected her with Anne many years ago, so she actually got to know her. So that's a really special thing, I think, that's going on. So several people are working to preserve these roses, and I'm certainly, certainly 
glad they did. Well, I'm hoping maybe with this um, this podcast and the Flock Finger Lakes video that some folks will reach out to me with interest in developing a collection and carrying on um, the work that I've started here. Mm -hmm. um, I just turned 69 last week, and um, I hope I've got as many years in as Ann Belovich had, but at a certain point, um, things slow down a little, and I'd like to be sure that these roses live on. Some of my collection is at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden and at the Heritage Rose District in New York City, um, as it, at the Elizabeth Park Rose Garden in Hartford and the E.M. Mills Garden in Syracuse. But we need to get these ramblers, the little known ones, out into people's gardens so that we have backup places. We've got diseases like rose rosette that can come in and wipe out a collection. And we need to preserve these roses. We certainly do. So we covered your website a little bit that people can go there, but let's just give us a little update on um, your garden and what's going on this year. Ah, well, um, this year, um, although I talk about needing to cut back, I'm going to be adding more ramblers to the garden. Um, what's exciting is that some of Walsh's ramblers, Walsh was an early uh, rose hybridizer, specifically ramblers based out on Cape Cod. Some of his roses have now been rediscovered. And they're not in the trade. And I've got some friends from the Cape Cod Rose Society um, that have been giving me cuttings and encouraging me to add them. So I'm expanding the, um, the list of ramblers available here. Um, I'm also getting some from uh, Freedom Gardens from Peter Schneider. So there will be more rare and unusual roses, ramblers that you won't see anywhere else in a uh, public garden or private collection. Um, the next thing I'm working on is a labeling system for the garden. Every rose here has a little plastic tag <laughs> stuck in by the base, but you know what happens with those. Yes. The frost heaves them out. People come to the garden. They pull out the tag to take a look of it look at it and it doesn't end up where it belongs and I know every rose in the place but people have always asked for a better labeling system so I'm in the the midst now with my wife of making um botanical garden quality labels for every rose in the place so like I said that's over 200 roses right now hopefully <laughs> When folks come at the peak rose season, they can walk around and they'll be able to uh, copy down the name of any rose in the place and come up to the sales area and say, do you have this one in stock? And I'll say either yes or no. And well, if it's not patented, I could custom root it for you for the following year. Oh, it doesn't sound to me like you're slowing down. <laughs> Well, I'm in the process right now of working with members of the um, Syracuse Rose Society in restoring the E.M. Mills Rose Garden. E. M., that's in Syracuse. E.M. Mills was one of the founders of the American Rose Society, and that garden 
although it's not the oldest in the United States, the oldest rose garden would be Elizabeth Park in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Scaniello is doing an incredible job restoring that. Um, I'm working now with a team of folks from the Syracuse Rose Society um, and a landscape architect from the Syracuse Parks Department in restoring the E.M. Mills Rose Garden. And it has these long brick-lined paths with huge arches that used to be clothed in ramblers. And I will be donating ramblers over the next probably four or five years to um, cover those arches. At one point, as ramblers fell out of fashion, they were pulled from the garden and replaced with climbers, many of which, or most of which, do not even reach the top of the arch. So mm -hmm. this spring, Sir the city of Syracuse will be restoring all the brick paths um, of landmark preservation quality and increasing accessibility. And we're going to start taking one pie sector at a time. Um, there are eight pie sections coming out from a beautiful gazebo and restoring them going back to the original shape of the beds, planting, replanting some of the old original roses and um, roses that will survive our climate and be disease resistant and cold hardy. So within the next five years or so, that should be an incredible gem, but it's worth visiting right now and watching our progress. So exciting. I appreciate so much that you're involved in this and all of these other projects. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, Leon, as always, it's such a pleasure to be with you. I do hope that sometime I can be there in your garden for the spring flush. I know it would just be heaven on earth. But thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you maybe at one of the ARS conventions coming up. Oh, that sounds just perfect. And I hope you have a wonderful spring season and good luck with those labels. We need them. <laughs> thanks a lot. Take care. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show and maybe even have a rambler in mind that would be perfect for your garden. Now, over the next couple of months on Rose Chat, we'll be taking a look at other less known classes of roses. So check back in. And until next time, happy gardening. You've been listening to the Rose Chat Podcast with Chris Van Cleve and Teresa Byington, expert rose gardeners who want to help you achieve the rose garden of your dreams. Don't miss an episode. Listen anytime on our website at rosechatpodcast.com or listen on the go via the Rose Chat app on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Share this podcast with your social networks and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using the hashtag rosechat. Join us next time for another edition of the Rose Chat Podcast. The Rose Chat Podcast is a production of the Rose Chat Media Group, Birmingham, Alabama.